Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning and welcome to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Sue Tab along with my co-host Kendra Petroni. Today we place the spotlight on a woman who is working to resolve the food insecurity crisis here in Massachusetts. She is the executive director of Gaining Ground, a conquered nonprofit working year-round to help families put food on the table amid record high inflation. Jennifer leads a small team of dedicated farmers and 2,500 volunteers to donate nearly 100,000 pounds of fresh vegetables, fruits, and herbs, as well as 30 gallons of maple syrup to food pantries and meal programs every day of the year. That's a tall order. Welcome, (laughs) Jennifer, to the show. Good morning, Kendra. Good morning, Sue. How are you both? We're good. good. So happy to have you on. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. So these statistics are really startling. So as of last August, more than 25% of Massachusetts families with children were experiencing food insecurity more than during the height of the pandemic. What do you attribute that to? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's really startling. Prior to the pandemic, uh, we had about 8.2% of folks in Massachusetts who were experiencing food insecurity. Uh, That went up to a peak of nearly 20% uh, during May 2020. And we are still, even though those high rates have come down, we are more than double what we were uh, for food insecurity prior to the pandemic. And I attribute that to a couple of factors, uh, but I think one of the ones that is considerably driving this is the fact um, that we're seeing record high inflation, particularly in the cost of groceries, which are the highest that they've Mm -hmm. been in 40 years. Yeah. It's funny. We talked about that on Morning Magic um, just the other day about how even the basic things like eggs and milk and all of those things are astronomically higher than they were just a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's certainly one of the things that I've noticed in my own shopping habits and even talking with my friends. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've been, I think, you know, lucky in that as prices have kind of fluctuated a little bit here and there through the years, it really, I haven't noticed it. Um, But I feel like the the prices have gone up so much, in fact, that this is something that nearly everybody is noticing. Mm -hmm. And what it really means is I try to put myself into the shoes of, um, you know, a person, um, say like a working mom or 
or a senior yeah. who wants to eat healthy but is go- walking into the grocery mm-hmm. store and they reluctantly have to bypass the produce section yeah. where a family size box of spinach could be almost $8 or a bag of grapes could be approaching $10. Yeah. And yet, you know, they want to buy that, but their budget doesn't allow it. And so they end up buying, you know, the, the store brand cornflakes or the, you know, quote unquote mm-hmm. fruit snacks that don't actually have any fruit in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hear time and time again from our hunger relief partners that when the cost of food goes up, that one of the very first things that their clients have to drop from their budgets are fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Talk a little bit about gaining ground. You're an organic farm in Concord. You donate 100% of what you grow to families in need. And talk a little bit about what food insecurity means, because as you were just mentioning, quality of food is is as is important. I mean, you need to have food, but then is it a quality? Is it a quality meal? Yeah, um, you've you've really um, hit the nail on the head right there. And when we speak of food insecurity in the United States, you know, we we don't really have a problem in the United States of lack of calories. What we have is a problem of lack of nutrition. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, for a variety of reasons, it can be really cheap to buy, uh, you know, what, what would commonly be referred to as empty calories. This is the junk food that, okay, you know, let's all admit it from time to time. (laughs) Even I like to indulge in, you know, but that it should be a treat, right? It shouldn't be the staple of our diets. Um, And so when we speak of food insecure, you know, the definition of food food security really is having access um, to the types of foods that is necessary to live a healthy and productive life. Um, you know, we know that food access and health are complete, are, are not, uh, they aren't inseparable. Um, you, you know, it's taught in school. Anytime you go to the doctor, they say, you know, they're always talking to you about eating a healthy diet um, that's based on fruits and vegetables, whole grains, lean meats. And unfortunately for a lot of folks, these just are not um, either available to them uh, or they're um, completely, uh, you know, overpriced. And so that's where a lot of families find themselves, mm-hmm. especially with, um, you know, the, the inflation that we're seeing is that they're making a choice. What can I do with the money this month? Am I going to pay rent and utilities or mm-hmm. am I going to be able to buy the healthy food that my family needs? And I'll also add to that, too. We were also discussing on our morning show about I've, I have young kids in school. So even trying to buy things to prepare for their lunches for school I tend to buy things that can last all day, that won't spoil, and it's hard to find fruits and vegetables and healthy things to even be able to afford to have it last throughout the week, and I'm afraid to almost send it to school with them because it will get wasted. So I, it, might get le- it might get left in the lunchbox for the day and then go bad. Right, right. <laughs> I so, certainly understand. Yeah, I understand that. Talk a little bit about the types of food that you grow and how you sort of maintain the farm. I, who are your farmers, your volunteers? Because you have a lot of volunteers, 2,500 yeah. volunteers. That's awesome. Yeah, so we are an organic farm in Concord, um, and we are uh, just starting our 29th growing season right now. And in those 20, in those 29 years, we have never sold a single fruit or vegetable that we've grown on the farm. Last wow. year, we grew um, over half a million individual servings of organic fruits and vegetables, and we donated it 100% of that to people who are experiencing food insecurity throughout the greater Boston and Lowell regions. We um, here are growing about between 40 and 50 different kinds of crops uh, all throughout the year. And our crop plans are really informed by our hunger relief partners, you know, what they tell us that their clients want. And one of the things that's really exciting to me 
because we have made some changes in recent years about the types of food that we're growing. Of course, we grow a lot of the standard, you know, spinach, carrots, lettuce, you know, vegetables that we're all very familiar with. But Eastern Massachusetts has a wonderfully diverse and diversifying population. And a lot of folks who are experiencing food insecurity have cultural connections to the types of food that is not often or ever found in food pantries or in grocery stores. And so we're growing a lot of different varieties of hot peppers, um, collard greens, okra, and a, um, one of the things that we grew last year that was a huge hit was a uh, Brazilian eggplant that's called Gilo. Mm-hmm. And I really love that we're able to provide these foods to our clients because to me, it's, you know, food, there's, there's so much about food, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a human necessity. We need it. But it should do more than just feed us. It should also nourish us. And a lot of us, I mean, you know, I myself, I have, you know, some of my favorite foods that I, that I grew up loving that today still bring back happy memories. And sure. I think what it would be like if I didn't have access to those foods. And so I'm just, mm-hmm. I, I'm really delighted that we're able to work with our partners to bring these foods um, to folks who really love them. Jennifer, you distribute your produce within about 24 hours of harvest, and most of it is going really locally, like within 20 miles. How do you decide where to donate or who your hunger relief partners are going to be? Yeah, that is an excellent question. Um, So we do have very long-standing partnerships with hunger relief partners in the area. Um, You know, I had mentioned that we do partner with organizations in the greater Boston area, including the Women's Lunch Place, um, Bridge Boston Charter School in Roxbury. We work with a couple of great organizations in in Chelsea and East Boston, like East Boston Soup Kitchen and Eastie Farm. And what it really... um, we try to work with organizations who really know their client base very well, and we also choose a variety of partners, um, some of whom give our food out food pantry style and others who are using our food to incorporate into prepared meals that they're serving their clients because um, we know that part of food insecurity is, you know, some people, depending on their circumstances, may not actually have access to a kitchen or may not um, have the ability or the time to be able to prepare healthy foods for themselves or for their families. And so we want to make sure that we are offering that, um, you know, both the, the foods that they can choose sort of in a free farmer's market style as well as in prepared meals. You know, some of the food that you grow, Jennifer, is specifically requested by those partners and the families uh, that they serve. What are some of the types of things that are being requested and how is the food that you're providing different than what people can get in other places? I know that you briefly mentioned and I love the idea that you're growing cultural foods that that a lot of families grew up on and are not able to get commonly. So what are some of the other ways that, that your organization sort of stands out? Um, yeah, so certainly, you know, the, the, you know, one thing that I'll say is that there are a variety of um, people who are contributing to um, address the problem of food insecurity, and that is all wonderful. One of the things that makes Gaining Ground unique is that we donate 100% of everything that we grow. So we are, you know, truly, dead, uh, we are donating the best of the best. It's not just like leftovers that we're donating or food that is past peak or about, you know, ready to go bad. Mm -hmm. We are growing food specifically 
um, to give it away to people who need it. Uh, we know that locally grown food is um, fresher, actually does have longer shelf life because it hasn't been, able, you know, it hasn't had to travel <laughs> mm-hmm. from other parts of the world or from other parts of the country. So going back to that example of the lunchbox or, or you know, only being able to shop maybe once a week or so and not having the food go bad, um, our, our, our produce actually does have very long shelf life. And we, you know, we, we do grow some of the staple crops like carrots and potatoes, but we've heard from our hunger relief partners that they do have, they're able to, to buy those, say, for example, from the Greater Boston Food Bank at a relatively low price and they have easy access to them. But what they have very hard time getting are the, you know, the leafy greens, the chard, the lettuce, the spinach, some of the specialty crops that we are really known for and that our hunger relief partners really appreciate. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Kendra Petroni, and along with Sue Tab, we're talking today with Jennifer Johnson. She's the executive director of Gaining Ground, a Concord Mass nonprofit working to resolve the food insecurity crisis here in Massachusetts. Jennifer leads a team of dedicated farmers and volunteers who work to donate fresh vegetables, fruits, and herbs to hunger relief partners in nearby communities every day of the year. Let's get back to our conversation. Jennifer, does the cold weather impede your ability to provide produce to your partners? I mean, obviously food insecurity exists year round. So how do you manage like this time of year? Yeah, that is absolutely right. You know, we're, we're not California, right. <laughs> so we don't, um, you know, we don't have the, the luxury of being able to grow as much, um, you know, our, our, we do have the four seasons. And so one of the things, um, a change that we made actually starting in 2020 is that we um, really dedicated ourselves to say that we are going to grow and distribute food 12 months out of the year. Prior to 2020, we would distribute just April through November. And the way that we're able to do this is um, we have some structures on the farm that are called hoop houses. And um, if you're not familiar with that term, which most people in farming are not, um, think about it's like an unheated greenhouse. Mm -hmm. And so we are able to grow crops like carrots, spinach, lettuce, and some kale mixes in there, even though they're not heated, we can still grow Mm year-round. It's not as abundant, certainly, as it is during the summer, and we can't grow the the variety of foods. Like at the peak of the summer, we're growing about 50 different crops. But it still is um, giving fresh food, and some of our hunger relief partners tell us that they have no other sources of fresh food besides what they get from gaining ground during the winter months. You know, you say you donate 100% of what you grow, so it begs the question, like, how are you guys sustained? Do you rely on grants? Do you rely on private funding? How does all of that work? Yeah, so it's a mix. Um, okay. We are we, we don't sell anything, so we, we our uh, revenue stream is 100% donations, and about uh, 60 to 65% of that revenue comes from individual donors. Um, and you know, we we no amount is too small. You know, <laughs> we have folks who make five, ten dollar gifts, and then we have um, folks who make really substantial gifts. Uh, we also have uh, been a beneficiary of gifts from corporations and from family and community foundations. Our budget is um, just under $800,000 a year. What kind of feedback are you getting? I imagine, I would assume it's all good, but what kind of feedback <laughs> are you getting from your partners and the clients that they serve? Yeah. So so one thing, actually, that I'll say, um, I'll just share a, a quick quote here that we got, actually, from one of our um, hunger relief partners in East Boston. Um, and what they say is, 
uh, quote, the, the produce from gaining ground is of such high quality that folks in the neighborhood are always asking us when we will have more of it. Wow. For many of our recipients, they have to deal with food from other sources that is often low quality, leftover, or near or at expiration. Uh. The message that they get is that they're a lower priority than people who can pay. When they get food from gaining ground, instead it enriches them, not just in terms of nutrition, but in the dignity of being treated as equals. And, um, oh. you know, that, that feedback came to us, and that was something that really um, – you know, I think about like what sustains me and my and my mm-hmm. colleagues in this work. And when we get feedback like that, as well as just seeing, you know, the joy on the faces of people who come to volunteer at the farm, that's what keeps us going. That's yeah. priceless. I it know. It really is. It is priceless. And I'm sure that it makes all of you very proud of the work you do. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that there are many challenges to your work as well. I mean, you, the elements are a challenge for you. <laughs> Donations are a challenge. It, it, it can't always be easy. Yeah, um, you know, you're absolutely right about that. I, uh, I know that it's common um, for leaders of organizations to say that they have uh, the best staffs on the planet, but they're all wrong because I have the best staff on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> and you're keeping uh, them. <laughs> yeah, you know, truly, the, the farmers who work at Gaining Ground are, are exceptional. And since this program is called Exceptional Women, um, I can't help but uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that our farm staff is actually comprised 100% of women. Really? Um, oh, I didn't yeah. even know that. That's and that, amazing. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, it, it wasn't intentional. Um, it just sort of ended up that way. But for the last two seasons, we've had um, an all-female crew. And these are um, the most knowledgeable, curious, hardworking, and talented uh, women that I've worked with in my life. Oh, I love hearing that. Me too. That's awesome. How do you see this organization growing in terms of, you know, increasing your reach? Are you intentionally planning to stay local? What, what is your hopes for the future? Yeah, so that is such a timely question. Um, our board, we have a very active um, and wonderfully engaged board of directors. And at the end of last year, we just adopted a new five-year strategic plan. And part of that plan definitely calls for increasing the amount of food um, that we're able to grow and to provide to people who are experiencing food insecurity. So I will say that we are actively looking at additional land um, that we can farm, which of course is not easy to come by in Massachusetts. Uh, but certainly, if anybody you know listening to this either has land or knows somebody who has land um, and is interested in talking to us, we, we'd love to talk to them. That's awesome. There's a book I saw on your website that there's a book about your efforts. It's called Gaining Ground, the Story of a Community Growing Food and Giving It All Away. I love the title. <laughs> yeah. Were you involved in that? And why is it a story that's important to tell? Yeah, um, so that that book actually was um, uh, finished, uh, uh, completed just prior to my arrival. So my first day on the job was March 9th, 2020. Um, so if you can um, oh, just wow. think a little bit back. What, <laughs> wow, my was, gosh. That, that was a Monday. <laughs> I was and, just going to uh, say, that's the, when, you know, something hit the fan. <laughs> Everything broke loose. <laughs> yes. And by wow. that Friday, the world was a completely different place, and I oh. had a completely different job uh, than the one that I thought that I was taking. Um, but it was really great. 
gratifying to be part of an organization that uh, was really kind of right in the in the thick of things. Um, you know, if we remember back to those days, uh, obviously farming is an essential service. There's no such thing as farming from home. Right. <laughs> so we all, uh, you know, were at work every single day during the pandemic um, and making sure that people had food to eat. Mm. And um, so I, I was not involved in the production of that book, um, except to say that part, part of the reason that I came into this job is that um, my family and I had been involved as volunteers and as um, financial supporters of the organization, and it was something we absolutely loved. And when the job became available, I was like, oh, that's my dream job. <laughs> so, so I'm very glad that I had the opportunity to do that. Um, I was going to ask you, do you feel like you're in your dream job? Because... Uh, what strikes both Kendra and I mm. as we're talking to you is how passionate you are about your work. That's really a gift, I would imagine. It is a huge gift. And I, yes, I, I absolutely do believe that I'm in my dream job. Um, you know, what, one of the things that I just really believe fundamentally and that this, um, the beliefs of, this, of gaining ground also align with it is that healthy food is a human right that it's not a privilege that should just be uh, left for people who have ample disposable income or easy access to full-service grocery stores right around the corner, that it, you know, full stop, healthy food is a human right. And I believe that when humans are healthy, they can lead happier, more productive lives. You know, for children, their attention is better in school. People have more energy for taking care of themselves and others. I just, I, I think it's a wonderful, you know, sort of upstream solution to a lot of different problems that can happen down the road as a result of a poor diet. And so the fact that I get to dedicate my um, professional life to increasing people's access to healthy food really is a gift. And I also just want to quickly add the timing of you coming into the job at, right at the beginning of what was going to be a very chaotic two years speaks volumes of your passion and this organization's efforts to be such a success in such a crazy time really shows how hard you're working and the, and the great work that you're doing. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it's been... Um, you know, we, we uh, of course, experience challenges just like everyone else. Um, but, you know, in some ways, it was uh, the farm was a bit of a respite from everything else that was going on in the world. We just we could come, you know, work outside, do our jobs, yeah. uh, get it done and know that we were getting healthy food to people who really, really needed it. Jennifer, how can people volunteer or learn more about your organization? I know the website gainingground.org is there. We'll put a link up on our site as well. But tell us a little bit more about how people can get involved. Yeah, so as um, you had mentioned before, we have about 2,500 volunteers a year, um, and we work with volunteers of all ages and abilities. So if um, you know anybody five years and older um, is welcome to come and volunteer on the farm, we have a variety of on-farm tasks lots of things that you would come to mind when you think of a farm, you know, weeding, planting, harvesting, yeah. putting mulch down, moving dirt, all that, <laughs> all that kinds of stuff. But there, we do have a number of other volunteers who love our work, love our mission, and um, are not, 
either don't have the capacity or it, you know, it's not their passion to really get their fingers in the dirt. And so we have a lot of behind-the-scenes work that needs to be done as well, uh, anything from, you know, office sort of work to uh, carpentry, repair, you know, <laughs> making yeah. sure that things are in good working order so that we can do what we need to do. We also have um, a wonderful uh, group of folks who actually delivers food from the farm to our partners who are in the, um, Boston and Lowell. I love, too, Jennifer, that you said um, people can bring their kids five years and older because that means, and I'm sure you have this, that many people probably come as families when they're volunteering, correct? Absolutely. And, you know, we we have, um, you know, Anna, I'm just thinking of some folks that I spoke to even last year um, during their volunteering that, um, you know, one uh, woman was a mom who had younger kids, and she said um, that her son, who I think was five or six at the time, you know, was like begging to come back. Mom, this is so much fun. (laughs) Can we please come back? Can we please please come back? Yeah, it's showing the importance of giving back and showing people how to grow food. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I do think, um, you know, sadly, you know, all of us, uh, myself included, um, can find ourselves um, too often behind a desk or behind a screen and not outside as much as we would like. And so the experience of actually, um, you know, being on a farm, doing work with your hands and actually Mm -hmm. really seeing tangible results. Um, That's one of the things that I notice with our volunteers is when they're here for a two-hour shift and then we can tell them at the end of the shift, um, you know, okay, folks, all those seeds that you just planted, that's going to turn into 5,000 pounds of butternut squash. I mean, it's really really gratifying to, you know, our our volunteers walk off the farm knowing that they've made a real difference. Yes, and that's what's important. Thank you, Jennifer, for being in the spotlight today on Exceptional Women. Your work and the work of the entire team at Gaining Ground is so important and you are making a remarkable difference in the quality of life and health for so many families. We applaud your organization's mission and the continuing impact you are having for our neighbors and friends in the communities where we work and live. We wish you continued success in the future. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on the show. We talk with celebrities and CEOs, but we're also interested in talking with your neighbors, coworkers, and friends who are quietly making an impact in their communities. Go to magic1067.com and email us if you know someone you'd like to recommend to be featured on our program. And you can follow us on Instagram at sue.tab and at Kendra the Entertainer. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to join us every Sunday morning for another edition of Exceptional Women. Have a great day, everyone.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 